Hello everyone, welcome to this edition of the Anime Limited Podcast. It's our annual Scotland Loves Anime special, so things are going to be a bit different this time around. If you've not listened to the podcast before, first of all, thank you very much for wanting to check it out. And make sure you check out past episodes of our podcast over via our blog site, blog.alltheanime.com. And while I'm mentioning websites, make sure you visit our website, alltheanime.com, where you can get the latest information on our upcoming releases and cinema releases as well. Premiere will be coming to cinemas on November the 26th, as an example. Tickets are available now at premierefilm.co.uk. Now, the reason I, Jeremy Graves, am giving you a little bit of an intro before we get to the show proper is just to sort of set the scene, if you will, for this podcast. You're not going to get the usual cast of characters. You'll get some returning voices that you'll be very familiar with. But this is very much about the Scotland Loves Anime Film Festival, which all the anime is a sponsor of. On this show, we have the the chairman of the jury, Mr. Jonathan Clements, and our four esteemed judges, who you'll be introduced to in just a few moments, who will be discussing the four films in competition at this year's festival. Those being Children of the Sea, Birthday Wonderland, Ride Your Wave, and Weathering With You. Just to say from the outset, massive spoiler warning ahead of this, there is detailed discussion on each film, so if you don't want to be spoiled on them, just be warned, this may not be the best listen for you until you've actually watched them. But if you only want to hear discussion about a film specifically, if you go to the show notes at our website, blog.alltheanime.com, and search for this podcast listing page, you will be able to get the time codes of when each film is being discussed. And also, just a little word about sound quality and such. The microphone we use is very sensitive to sounds and such, just to make sure we can pick up everyone. So if you hear some background noises and such... I've done my best to get rid of them in post-production, but the chances are there may, may still be the odd, for example, a glass touching a table or someone accidentally tapping a table and such like that. So just wanted to give you a little heads up before we get to that. Also, if you're coming to MCM London Comic Con next weekend, we will see you there and stay tuned this coming week as we will have lots of info to share about our activity there. Thank you very much for listening. And now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. As my voice cracks there, because it's a beautiful Sunday morning here in Edinburgh for the Scotland Loves Anime edition of the Anime Limited podcast. I am Jeremy Graves, and as per usual, I am joined by Mr. Andy Hanley. Hello, everyone. And uh, if you've not listened to this before, you're in for a fun ride. It is Scotland Loves Anime. There have been lots of films being shown, but today it is all about four particular films that we are going to be discussing, and you will ultimately find out which was the grand prize winner. And to help... Keep proceedings moving along. We've got our returning champion of a man, Mr. Jonathan Clements. Hello, everyone. I'm a returning champion of a man. <laughs> I can change your title if you want. No, no, I think that's, that's great. It's better than some of the things I've been called over the years. Such uh, as? <laughs> jury chairman of Scotland Loves Anime. But I'm still that. And uh, the jury is with us. We've got all the jury for a change. We don't normally have somebody lying face down in a pile of beer cans, as sometimes happens. Um, and that's where Andrew Partridge is right now, those of you who are wondering. Um, but uh, shall we get the jury to introduce Let's themselves? Go. All right, fantastic. Off you go. Hello, my name is Freya Allen. Um, I'm an animator, um, and I'm very excited to be a jury member on Scotland Loves Anime this year. Uh, Freya has been on the list and off the list repeatedly for several years. Yeah, I was supposed to be here last year, and yeah. I was taken off for some reason. I'm, I was never, that was never you clarified. Were, you were taken off for not being yeah. good enough. <laughs> um, no, I think because Andrew, last, last year we ended up with uh, a jury of six at one point, and I did point oh. out to Andrew that every extra juror probably adds about 20 minutes of fighting in the restaurant and um, we just didn't you know there's no reason for it as well Mm -hmm. Um, 
but you were always under consideration, uh, mainly because uh, you were one of the animators of the Anime Limited Ident, which mm -hmm. used to go up before the festival. Uh, before every film at the festival, uh, but this year for some reason has disappeared, and no one knows why. It just it, it just wasn't in the packet of assets sent to the cinema, so it just didn't go out. But um, that was you, right? The, the, mm, I did the backgrounds on that. You did the backgrounds on the the controversial one with the naked girl. No, or? no, the uh, kaiju one. The kaiju one, yeah. which was replaced the controversial. Yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm fine having been left this year because I worked on a cool project this year, so that's better than last year. Yeah, all right, good. Hi there, I'm Michael Doig. Um, I'm a colorist, um, and most recently I've been working as an art director at Nights of Light Table. And hi, I'm India Swift, and I'm a director and animator at Nights of Light Table. And India and Mike, Michael, sorry, were both here um, at the Education Day as well, uh, talking about their work on Starlight, Ex not Starlight Express, <laughs> <laughs> Star Starlight, Starlight Brigade. Brigade. Starlight Brigade. That uh, happens surprisingly often. Yeah, well, I mean, duh. <laughs> uh, well, I'm the stupid one, but yes. Um, uh, which uh, was actually Jared Taylor from the Edinburgh College of Arts, you know, made a point of sticking up his hand and saying, I'd like to say how inspiring this is, just in case anyone wasn't already inspired. They, they gave a very good talk about breaking into the animation business and said a whole bunch of things, some of which I wish I'd known 25 years ago. Thanks, we also oh. wish we'd known that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Jack Liang from uh, Polyon Pictures, one of the producers. Um, the second, second time I'm here and I'm honoured and thank you for inviting me back. Yeah, it's, Jack being on the jury has created an interesting issue because it meant that his film, um, Human Lost, yes. couldn't be in, com in competition. That might have been a sneaky move, just to strip down. <laughs> Let, let's, let's bring Jack over and that way we won't have to put that film in competition and then we can only have four. I don't, I don't know what was going on there. Was that the official reason? I was curious too. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Andrew Partridge? Actually, we had, we had you here last yeah, year yeah. for, um, I've forgotten what film it was. Now. For, for, for Blam, yeah, yeah. and um, we have very positive comments from the audience. It, it's um, about the Q&A, yeah. and uh, I don't know what it was. Maybe people have more to say about Blam. Maybe you're just a more interesting I'm person. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're just awesome. I think possibly it was that it was a late-night Q&A that, that didn't require interpreting, and so you can just get a lot more data out. Yeah. Um, but, but either way, you know, that was a good you know, reason. Also, when we, do, when we pick jurors as well, for me, one of the main issues is have they got a really good voice? And just listen to Jack. Is it that good of a voice? I'm getting self-conscious now. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a proper anime badass voice, which is you know, very, very useful. Put that on the business card. Yeah. It's <laughs> available for anime badassery. Business card says press play. <laughs> So you guys have seen all four films, correct? I hope so. They voted on them. I know, but I must make sure. <laughs> so let's go on to the first film then. Ride Your Wave, latest film from Masaki Yuasa. Jonathan, how would you give the elevator pitch for the film if for someone who has not seen it? Okay, firstly I should say there will be spoilers in this. Um, very true. And the thing with Ride Your Wave is that I was very fortunate and I saw it without knowing what, what happened at all. So I was taken completely by surprise by the fact that uh, the leading man dies you know, a third of the way into the film, and it's really about um, how his uh, his would-be girlfriend, oh no, they were actually boy yeah. and girlfriend, yeah. how his girlfriend kind of recovers or doesn't recover from the loss. So basically it's anime is truly madly deeply, um, and uh, but because it's you ask for it's done in a very surreal way, and you end up with, uh, 
for some of the film, you, you, you think in that kind of letter to Momo kind of way, is this really happening or are we just watching a very troubled woman talking to the toilet? You know, <laughs> because she thinks that his spirit lives in water. Uh, but over over the course of the film, sort of magic realism sort of takes over, and you realise that yes, you know, he he is he is there in her life, but he's I think trying to help her move on. It's been months since I saw the film, so I, you know you'll have to remind me of this. Um, so it's a, it's a very sweet film, a very sweet film, and and the jurors the jurors agree. But India in particular was well up for this film. She was <laughs> very excited about it and was very passionate in defending it. And you can defend it again. Go ahead. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I could speak about this film for ages. There was a lot I really liked about it. I thought it was visually, it was wonderful. It was great to see a film made in Flash that was so well done. Um, I thought the way that it was boarded and animated was imaginative, creative. The shots all felt like they had a lot of meaning behind them. Um, the premise was a lot of fun and the, the character acting was very nuanced. I really cared a lot about each of the characters because of the little moments that they had between one another. That is something that I don't see in a lot of other films. Yeah. Out of curiosity, have you watched and enjoyed a lot of US's other stuff or not? Um, I have. I haven't enjoyed it as much as this one. Okay, because the interesting thing I've seen from the audience side is that a lot of the people that are kind of the, the hardcore USA fans feel like Roger Wave isn't USA enough for them. That's really that, interesting. That like, it kind of rings it back a bit too much for them and they seem less keen on it for that. I think yeah, that's yeah. how I felt that it was a little bit more commercial. Uh, form of his. Yeah. It was still good. It, you, it, oh, it, actually, it was, Jack, you said it was commercial and also you felt it was formulaic as well. Yeah. Yeah, because you were saying earlier that you were surprised that the main character died in the beginning. Mm. I kind of saw that coming, mm. but then you kind of knew where it was going to go after, which, which is still entertaining. Mm. It was just that I felt that it was more not his typical you also. I maybe maybe I'm just very gullible. I am a very gullible film watcher. I, I either guess what will happen in the final scene in the first ten minutes, or or I have no clue yeah. what's happening. And I very much prefer to go into films completely unaware of what's happening. What I really enjoyed about Ride Your Wave is that the the first act of them being happy together, which which was going to end horribly is then revisited and repeated throughout the rest of the film. But now it's got a sinister tone because you know it's all going to end. Yeah. But you see more details of their happy times loaded at the back of the film. And I, I didn't think that was formulaic at all. I, I've, I've never seen that done before. And I, I, I really enjoyed that from a narrative point of view. I like that a lot of their experiences together are fragmented through both of their timelines. Like the song is a recurring thing, but it was playing when he was rescued by heart. Mm -hmm. And it's this just like, back and forth rescuing of one another that they built this relationship that transcended both their lives, his afterlife. And it just felt really nice that it set up a lot of expectations for them as characters that were then broken down and you got to see who they truly were like as the film progressed. It, it set up the, the, the male character as being this hero and like, everyone admired him and was like, oh, he makes everything seem so effortless. But it goes behind that and shows, no, he had to work harder than everyone else because he struggles too. And I thought that was a really nice lesson to just show audiences that as much as you can see the surface of other people until you actually see their past and how they struggle too, that it makes it, you feel more comfortable with yourself if you're struggling as well. And that really connected with me because I thought it was a nice lesson to pass to audiences. Yeah, and you also said that in the jury deliberations that you felt that the themes were, were well presented and cohesive throughout. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas Freya <laughs> introduced Jack to a new word uh, when discussing the wankiness of this film. <laughs> Was it that film? 
Yeah, I've got you down for wankiness here. Yeah, ride oh. your wave. Oh. It was a brilliant word. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to use that in a meeting yes, next week. I am bringing that back with me to Japan. Yeah, the Polygon Pictures new anime will be called Wankiness. <laughs> but, but, but the E will be a three or something. <laughs> oh, I thought I had described Children of the Sea as... Wanky. Yeah. No, no, actually, Wankiness was, was right here for right Oh, <laughs> I disagree with last night's self then. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. I don't know if call it Wanky. Well, you, you then went on to call it emotionally manipulative. I, I would, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I like, I felt like the whole time I was waiting for the scene to make me cry. Yes. Like each time I was like, okay, this is gonna be this one, and yeah. I'm so easy to cry in movies. And it did actually take me. What was the last thing that we all cried? You didn't. No. Yeah, yeah you were. Will not be manipulated. But yeah. We had three out of four people crying on the jury for this film. Uh, and, I, and I took that vote, and I'm going to take that again for the, other, films, for the other films as well, yes. because um, one of the things about the jury deliberations that distinguish them from the audience award is that the audience award is voted on by people as they leave the cinema, so it's an immediate and visceral reaction to the film, whereas we hope that you will think about it a bit more and possibly be a bit more brutal in your, in your discussions and your analysis. So um, Ride Your Wave um, in the audience awards came third with 4.02 of the votes. Um, so the audience was uh, out of five. Uh, so, so the audience definitely liked it, it, but they didn't like it as much as two other films in competition. Um, and, uh, but I'm just, I'm just repeating that observation just in case this becomes an issue later on. Um, but yeah, three out of four crying isn't bad. That's not bad. I think I might. Have, <laughs> I think I might have had a sniffle or two myself when I saw it. It's, it's, it's uh, and, and India actually said in, in the um, deliberations that it's really nice that at the end she's still the, the, the heroine is still troubled. She's not cured. Mm. You know, she hasn't got over it completely. She still does burst into tears at inopportune moments. So it, it's it's a nice analysis, not just of happiness but also of grief. Yeah, I think so. I preferred it to Birthday Wonderland, if, uh, thinking that it was third in the audience vote. I thought it had a lot more soul than Birthday Wonderland did. Okay, all right. So the, we should actually have a wankiness scale now. That we can also <laughs> the wankiness meter. Yeah. Uh, well, you may you may have done that, but the jury uh, just just getting ahead of us. The jury, uh, the uh, the audience, sorry, preferred Birthday Wonderland mm. by point zero one. Oh, above, okay. Well, above, that's very right. Yeah. I demand a recount. <laughs> 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 okay, get the That's too close of a number. Make them watch it again. Yeah. yeah, let's see how many of them want to watch it. <laughs> uh, repeat, repeated watching is going to be an issue with a lot of the films in this. I, I mean, we could we could move on to Children of the Sea. Mm. On that notion, yeah. would all of you watch Ride Your Wave again? Yeah, I would. I would. I, I'd buy that one, I think. Yeah. I'm just curious, given... Obviously, mixed opinions on it, mm -hmm. different reasons and such. It's almost interesting. Sometimes I think if someone goes to watch a film again, that is very telling mm. as to how much it has really got into someone. But also with a jury, I mean, we haven't asked them how they felt about being on the jury yet. Mm -hmm. The looks on their faces, they never want to do it again. <laughs> but um, that'll be the final question. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, one of the things, one of the things about being on a jury, though, is that it, you know it doesn't just expose you to life at a film festival. It exposes you to having to watch films that you might not choose for yourself, and having to watch them. And we'll come to this with uh, one of the other films. Having to watch them one after the other on a day when you might want to be doing something else. 
So it, it kind of industrializes the process of film watching. It's not, I'm gonna pick something and enjoy myself and have a night out and, and go home and you know put my feet up. It's, I'm gonna enjoy myself and then I'm gonna enjoy myself again and then I'm gonna to have to enjoy the hell out of the next one. Um, and that can, you know, it's actually quite difficult to maintain uh, not just objectivity, but subjectivity. You want to enjoy this film, you know, personally, but you're tired and you're hungry and you've had trouble finding a seat and, you know, all kinds of issues can start to bubble up. And Freya in particular, you said that you had trouble managing that as the, as the festival went on. Mm -hmm. And you're not the first. And I, I have, you, know, you may not have seen the jury report yet. It's been forwarded to you, but I have pointed this out to Andrew again, that we really want the jury to be in a state of not being miserable when they watch the films. Uh, and, and this applies to the audience too. I mean, there were points yesterday when you were thinking, well, I've got a choice, I can watch the next film or I can eat. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. the, and, and, that's, uh, and I said to Andrew, is there no way we can manage this better? And he said, it's not us. You know, we, we, we have a, a bracket in the day, we have to start at midday and then we finish before, hopefully before the last bus leaves. And what happens in the interim there is really contingent on how long the films are. And if someone delivers a two and a half hour film, we are stuck wedging that in to the time when people might eat, for example. Mm -hmm. And depends on whether the film host breaks stone. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that had a big impact yesterday. Uh, actually, no. Uh, the, the, we had a Jack is referring to a power cut at the yeah. film house that delayed the um, the beginning, the being, people being let in by twenty five minutes, I think. But they immediately dropped the adverts from the first oh, film, uh, thereby taking us back on track. If anything took us a little bit over, it was that my intros ran on a bit long. Um, <laughs> but even then, the film house there was one film I can't remember which one it was, but. They, they, they dropped the lights and started running the ads when people were still coming in. It's like, right, fuck you, fanboys, just get in there, squeeze in. And, um, You're a bunch of anime fans falling down the stairs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like little slinkies. <laughs> so another question then, which will probably come up as a recurring theme, but we sort of talked about emotions and emotionally manipulative is one phrase that's been used to describe it. But in terms of the audience reaction to the film, did that influence any of your feelings on it or maybe change your perception on Ride Your Wave at all from any moments in the film? Or was there maybe something that you thought, oh, I've, that's all right, that's a moment, but then maybe someone four rows in front just burst out crying or laughing or something? It's not one I noticed audience, the audience afterwards, I didn't really notice anything. Mm. Um, unlike the others, I could sort of, the children of the sea afterwards, I think a lot of people were just like, uh-huh. <laughs> you mentioned a fun moment like that in Children of the Sea at a point when at near the end one of the characters says, I didn't understand yeah. anything that just had the whole audience. I think you said at that point you realised it wasn't just yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Same here. That, yeah. that was a connected moment when everyone realised that some of the concepts yeah. just... They weren't the only idiot. I think it was intentional that it went over our heads in some places. Well, would, would someone like to try and describe what happens in children, the, the plot of Children of the Sea, um, and possibly ring up the author and tell him? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it feels like... It feels like... Why have I stepped forward? Um, it feels like they're trying to show a revival of, of life, and there's this um, unknowable process at work that we're just not aware of unless it's in like myth and legend and we're party to that as it's happening but what is actually happening is a little bit unfathomable it didn't it felt like we were seeing a lot of 
effects and not the causes of them. Like yeah. all yes. the so, a- excellent way of summing this film up. I mean, in fact, I'll stop you there because what you've just described is a Terence Malick film. Yeah. As Jack pointed yeah. out last night, Jack, would you like to try and describe the plot of Children of the Sea? You know, one of those trippy scenes from Terence Malick. Yeah, that. <laughs> but, no, it, it was a very beautiful film. Uh, I don't know if I could put it into words like Michael did. I think it, there's a lot of themes, there's a lot of elements. I think um, what they were trying to get out of it was a lot. I get very frustrated when people won't tell me what happens in a film. Uh, in this case, however, it's perfectly justified to not tell people what happens. But, but, so the idea is that there's a girl who goes to the aquarium and there's some boys there who are raised by dugongs um, and then stuff happens. <laughs> and that's really the best that I can do. And I think, I think, Jack, it was you that you said the first act of this film, they know what they're doing, and then it just kind of wanders off on its, own little, in, on its own little path and it doesn't really care if the audience follows it or not. Mm. And um, as, as I hope you, as I know I told you, that Daisuke Igarashi, the author of the original manga, wrote this script. So it's not like we can say it hasn't been adapted in accordance with the author's wishes. This is exactly what the author wanted. There's, there's a lot of exposition from the characters that describe songs and memory and thoughts linking together. And it felt like it was almost a recital of the song of the universe being performed in front of you. you That's it. This is another, you, you're just, you're describing the tree of life repeatedly. Uh, it's very interesting <laughs> to, to, to hear that, this that, happening. That was kind of my interpretation of it, but throughout all of this happening, the characters felt secondary, like their motivations during it happening, I couldn't follow. So I, I was... Like observers rather than participants, almost. Yeah. Mm. From observers from a very far distance. <laughs> yeah. Freya described this as a film that jettisons its own realism. Mm. Yeah, like I, I felt that that you were you had to suspend your belief that the characters were in a uh, that they knew what was going on. I think for most of, for a lot of the, for some of the film, you could believe everything that it was quite possible for these character these two boys to be raised by dugongs. Also a film about boys being raised by dugongs, not enough dugongs in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, and there was some weird stuff happening and everyone was just kind of like, huh, that's a bit weird. But they were sort of ex- accepting of it and it worked and it happened. And so you kind of believed it too, but it got to a point where you just stopped believing that anyone wasn't just horribly confused all the time. Mm. That these characters weren't also, also, Does it stress anyone else out that that the girl, whenever she was underwater, didn't really seem to have a problem with being able to breathe? I did wonder about it. Like it made me, it almost made me a bit panicky. Like, like I I find water, like big, vast stretches of deep water, to be incredibly scary. And I think at points the film kind of captured that, like when um, uh, Sora dies. Leaves, yes. whatever he does, disappears. disappears. Yeah, <laughs> whatever that that was. When he leaves, I found that to be, and like all the bugs and crabs are creeping about. Like I found that quite scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some of the deep sea scenes I found like quite claustrophobic, and also just quite scary. Um, but she didn't seem to be at all terrified of the fact that she wasn't like them, and therefore couldn't breathe. 
properly underwater. Whereas I was just like, you're going to drown. Because uh, what, what, what I took out of that was that she was like them in some fundamental well, that's, way. That's what I, I was like, it's never also, explicitly yeah. said, but that was kind of my intimation. Well, that's, that's, of I was wondering too, is she also a child of the sea? Because mm. I asked last night if, um, I can't remember his name, the guy with long hair was, was a child of the sea. Yes. Cause, um, but maybe he hadn't turned into the Big Bang or whatever. Um, <laughs> and had just hung out on a boat forever. Because uh, that wasn't clear. So I, I also wondered if she was a, a, was one of them and hadn't met her Dugong family yet or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the title in Japanese, oddly, is 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 Kaiju no Kodomo Tachi, right? It, it, it's it's children of the of what we would translate as like sea monsters. Sea, monster, sea creatures, yeah. Well, I mean, Kaiju is a monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it uses a term that's used for Godzilla, um, which is, uh, and, and is that ever really explained? Um, hmm. Or, it, who knows, <laughs> nothing, nothing's really explained. <laughs> is anything ever really explained in this film? Jack thought it would have been better as a short. Yeah, yeah I, the animation was beautiful. Um, it was just more of the storytelling for a two hour film, or I don't know how long it was. Uh, I felt that if they were to do it as a short film, 15, 20 minutes, and put all those elements into it and just be purely artistic, it would have been a lot more interesting for me. I, I was really impressed with some elements of the animation. Uh, however, Mike was pointed out to me that you can do a lot of them by pressing a button. So how <laughs> no. did the professional animators do it? To clarify, <laughs> you particularly pointed out dust motes, and yeah. I, I said that you can use particle effects to create those effects with some buttons <laughs> <laughs> and some sliders and some time. So how do, the, how do the animators feel about the animation in this film? It was incredible, like, it was absolutely beautiful. The combination of 3D and 2D and the very naturalistic line as well. They yeah. used a lot of um, media which felt like charcoal. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell if some parts were digital or traditional, um, but it was beautifully put together. I like seeing the bubbly lines. Yeah, mm. you don't often see that in anime. I feel like it's quite not only quite clean, but seeing uh, like lines bubble was nice. There was a lot nice. of like vivid life to it. Mm -hmm. I, I, over the films, I think Children of the Sea was the most visually striking. Just like every frame, a part of me was almost taken out of the film because I kept trying to figure out how they were making it, like the uh -huh. techniques. I was like, oh. But that that kept me also then reinvested. Like, ah, oh. like I was <laughs> trying to like see beneath the surface of the film, trying to figure it out as well. One thing that um, I was talking to some people about after the Glasgow screenings was how this film and Weathering With You both um, have moments where they kind of subsume themselves in this really long tracking shot, mm. which is the kind of thing you never used to see in anime, or you'd have something like Miss Hokusai where you know it took months to animate it, mm. but now with CG, I guess, where it is, that's something that it seems like a lot of studios kind of have as their big kind of showy moment. Well, you know, you just have a very long tracking shot that follows a character or an event, which, you know, is kind of quite fresh and you don't see it very often, but mm -hmm. this festival in particular, you start to notice it's cropping up they, a lot more now. They made a huge deal of it in Acura when they, when they started doing um, tracking shots and zooms along, along corridors and so on. And, I, and I, it's my, the impression that I get, and correct me if I'm wrong, that once you're working in 3D, if you're building a three-dimensional virtual set, you could move a camera around it. Yes. Which, which thereby, so it doesn't necessarily make it easier, but if you put the time in to build that set, then you can move around it. Um, and, that, and that is something that I think 3D animators are very tempted to show off, because why not? 
Yeah. Also, oh. it's much easier then to animate on top of it. Mm. Um, as a 2D animator, it's much easier to animate on top of a 3D camera mm -hmm. and match that, that than it is to, from scratch, mm. animate by hand right. the 3D So it sounds to me what you're describing there is a, is a scene early on in Children of the Sea where she's running down the, the yeah. street and she's in 2D and the street around her is in 3D yeah. and it kind of moves very, very nicely and smoothly. Yeah, it's mm. beautiful. I was impressed that they were having the footfalls land and mm. everything felt naturalistically painted. Like, it didn't feel like it was out with the overall painted style of some of the like, 2D map paintings mm. and things, I thought. I'll kind of just say, for the sake of our listeners who, who are wondering, the difference between realism and naturalism is something that is a, has been a big issue in anime for at least the last 20 years, and probably philosophically even before. The idea is, is that if you're doing something naturalist, you are reflecting the real world as, as best as you can. And if you're doing something realist, you're establishing rules and then keeping to them. So. It's naturalist to have an everyday anime, which depicts, I don't know, school life or something, which you try and show in as reasonable a way as you can. It's realist to have zombie ninja or topless vampires or whatever you want to come up with, whatever weird trigger or gynax stuff you want to invent, but you have rules for them. And so ever since the rise of real robots, ever since the 1970s when, um, when Gundam and Votoms tried to make the concept of giant robots, not a fantasy thing, but something rooted in some kind of physical reality. You set up these rules and then you keep to them. And so when the jury talks about something that loses its sense of realism, it means the film gives you a set of rules, it tells you what the jeopardy is going to be, and then it keeps to that. It doesn't magically pull something out of a box that changes those rules. Um, and that, that becomes an issue with, with some of the films in this, uh, in this one, is that you, you, you think you know what the risks are and you think you know what people are sacrificing and then, oh, it turns out you didn't know. Mm. Um, and that is a failure of realism within a film and you can have realism even in a film about Space Ninja. That makes mm. sense, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd agree that's where yeah. Children of the Sea was suffering, was mm. that it didn't really play by its own rules. Yeah. yeah. It didn't really establish its own rules. Yeah. It's very hard to be invested if you're not sure what the stakes are. Yeah, yeah. So even like towards the end of Act 2 and even Act 3, there was like some new elements being pulled in. <laughs> I went, is this movie still going on? <laughs> <laughs> because you have a contract as a storyteller yeah. with your audience to give them what they need to mm -hmm. understand what the story is. And, and, when, and when you don't do that, I think you're letting them down. Um, and that's, you know, it's a bold thing to say when, you know, the author of the original manga is writing this film. I think that what he is expecting is that the film, uh, in much the same way that the manga and the film talk about how everything is connected, he wants the film to be connected to the manga. He wants manga readers and film watchers to sort of combine their experiences of the two media. Um, I don't want to pay for that in cinema. Not unless I, I, I choose to. Um, I don't want to go in to see a film being told I have to read the manual first. I, I don't accept that contract, um, and that's why Children of the Sea really annoyed me. I feel I should say that I absolutely loved Children of the Sea. I thought it was a hot mess, but I really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it made me, um, it was like all the reasons that I love making movies and going to the cinema and making animation. Like there's always like the saying about how you should make in animation something that you couldn't make in live action. 
Um, and I think this definitely achieved that. I don't know what the fuck was going on half the time, but... I feel like the director probably did know what was going on, though, and yeah. was trying to put across something. It just didn't quite... Yeah, didn't get there. It was a bit existential. Yeah. You, you referred to it as buckwild at one point, yeah. which I think is another word that will be turning up in a Polygon Pictures meeting uh, <laughs> uh, next week. Buckwild wankiness. Buckwild wankiness. <laughs> Directed by Masaki Yunaki. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I stand by that. So, would you all watch it again? Yeah, I would. <laughs> I, I study it, I think. Yeah, that's I think that's, that's my that's, answer. That's, yeah, I yeah. would. For the same reasons, I'd want to know, I'd want to look at the technicalities of it. Mm. Okay. So, if anything, you'd be pretty, very interested in the making of being involved in that as well, if it was ever released and whatnot. Yeah. The and if of, someone was explaining the whole yeah. through what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> directors and writers coming yeah, to me, like, this is what this actually means. <laughs> The, the level of craft there is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, mm. It yeah. just blows your mind when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, my elevator pitch after watching it in Glasgow was that it's basically 2001 A Space Odyssey, but for the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels to me like it is very just existential and abstract, and it's not like most films that will ask you very specific Fucking hell, Patrick! <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to finish your thought and then we'll pause for uh, Yeah, like it's asking... <laughs> Sorry, everyone, just bear with it. It's asking very existential and abstract questions. Like most films ask very specific questions and have very specific things they want to talk about. This is just a very much a kind of like... It is a kind of like, what is life? What is the universe? Andy, are you familiar with the work of Terence Malick? I'm not. Okay, because, yeah. because The Tree of Life is this film. That's what I thought too. Yeah. That's why when I got up, I went... Terence Malick. <laughs> I had to think about it for a second, but what you were saying, Andy, the thing is, when you talk about 2001, you walked in knowing it was abstract, mm. that it was, you know, very interpretive. Yeah. Where I, this I one, they set up I, different, I, I want to say, in, in, in defense of Stanley Kubrick here, I don't think people did. My, my father and mother went to see 2001 in 1969 on a date, <laughs> and they didn't last long past the monkeys. <laughs> uh, but their description of the film, because they, they didn't know what they were yeah, doing. Yeah, but at least in the first 10 minutes, you knew what you were getting yourself yeah. into at a certain point, where this one, I felt the first act was, oh, there's a story. Yeah. And then it gets thrown out. Yeah. 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 It was 40 minutes yeah. of very cohesive. Yeah, it's a very tight story, actually. Yeah, about the girl and the pain, the bullying, or how started out emotions. As a, as a sport anime. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Even, I didn't figure out what sport it was though. Yeah, right. It's handball, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's handball. I think right. that's Japanese handball. I thought it was shite volleyball. Volleyball that they couldn't afford net. Yeah, so. Exactly. I was like, you have oh, a kind of. It was like a rugby handball. Right. Okay. Kind of yeah. It really sounds like this film goes places. <laughs> it definitely it doesn't return to them. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're going to do now, everybody, you, you heard the doorbell go, so we're going to take a little break and, and get the, uh, the festival director of Scott Love Anime involved and in the conversation. Scrabble cheat. Surprise, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Andrew Partridge. Wait, going? sorry, I forgot to check if we were swearing or not. We are totally swearing. Excellent. Yeah. But, I mean, you didn't hear what he said when the doorbell rang, so... <laughs> I will, though, on the podcast. There you go. So, Andrew, how's it been? It's been good. Biggest festival to date. I mean, like... Out of ten, out of ten, I mean, like, to get the tenth one to be the biggest one is quite nice and poetic. <laughs> and definitely not planned, but... We had, we had a lot of overflow screenings, which yeah. took the numbers up. And also, there was, there was a little bit of a controversy over the Saturday night, because yeah. 
On Saturday night, Andrew had a Promare event at the Biscuit Factory with pizza and the people from Studio yeah. Trigger, which sounds like an anime plot just waiting to happen. Um, and so for the first time, the Saturday night big you know, event was actually split into two locations, both of which were sold out. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of interesting to see that you know, we could, if we wanted to, be slightly bigger, but we don't have the venue to make that happen, nor do I think we would necessarily want not no. to be at the film house because it's so nice. Yeah, like we definitely want to be at the film house. And yeah. I think it's like, the trouble is for every one time you have a year like this where you get sellouts where you could have overspill screenings, mm. you get one, like a year where, the, the exact year where you'll choose to do it, where it's an absolute flop and the cinema will be like, uh... Yeah. <laughs> but we have an unspoken contract with the film house yes. that when we take over the Cinema One for the weekend, we will fill it for them, yeah. uh, which we've managed to do repeatedly. Yeah, every year they, they look at their... Because they have a, their box office system gets some projections for each month for how much they're meant to make. And every year in October, they're like, Jesus Christ, what, the, what, is, this? <laughs> what is this number? Oh, it's got not Sunday. Never mind, guys. It's, mm. it's fine. We're, we're probably going to hit the target. It's okay. And, like, by and large, we, we hit the same rough... Like, this is, like well and above each year like for Glasgow it's more than like 300 tickets past the biggest mm. year we had which I think is just proof that like Glasgow has a lot of room for growth which is beginning to happen now mm. and like Edinburgh like really you cap out about 3,500 tradition I think we're at 3,700 that's thanks to Premier being in the mix you know 100, mm. 100 otherwise we'd be circling about the same point so it's not like like, I mean, there's a certain point you reach in the festival, like, in terms of festival capacity, where you just can't, you know, you're, you're, you're basically, it's like the top of the, see how hard you can hit the, like, the, the thing with the hammer at the fairground, basically, thing. There's a top max, you can't go above it, pretty much, unless you cheat and add more length to the fucking bar, basically, and, like, add more screens. Hmm. And, like, there's only so many screens we can add. Yeah, but we do have overflow for... Weathering with you. And Premier, which is sold out. I mean, that was the promise I made to, to the film. Night. So I was like, well, look, we're doing this elsewhere because we want to have a themed event. And I don't think you're going to be very pleased if we start cooking pizzas <laughs> in your venue and, like, kitting out Cinema One and your foyer to look like that. And after a brief indignant email, yeah. I did receive a, actually, yeah, you're, you're right. We don't want to do that. I did think, I did notice the absence of anime stuff in the in the film house bar this year i thought oh we must have really pissed them off because normally they have anime posted yeah. up there. but right by the bar yeah. as a little sort of subtle bit of showing off they framed the poster for their 1991 screening of akira yeah. oh really? Yeah. Yeah. really which was sponsored by a whiskey company <laughs> Um, so that, that's very sweet. It's a very, very subtle bit of, you know, we, we were here early at the Edinburgh Film House. We were ICA affiliate. We, we had Akira. So suck on that fact. <laughs> that small niche film. That small niche film <laughs> uh, at the time, yeah. Time no, no one knew what the hell was going to happen when Akira hit. Yeah. So, Andrew, obviously mentioning biggest festival so far, but any surprises from your point of view? Uh, be it maybe in terms of reaction or what films have done well. In terms of like like positive reactions, I think as a whole, just every film this year has received a positive reaction by and large. Like of some kind. Like I mean, like like normally you get one film that polarizes everyone. Like, in terms of reaction like, in terms to the film reaction itself. To the film yeah. itself, like Bazaar Gusko, for example, in mm-hmm. previous years. We had some walkouts at um, One Piece. Well, that's what I was going to cover, actually. The other like, flip side of it, though, is the, 
like the very obvious, like the, the very like obvious other emotional one was obviously the, the slight misstep of having to call One Piece Stampede a mystery film at first. Mm-hmm. Like, which obviously left some people who were expecting something that's original, which it could have been. It was an original film lined up to be in that slot as well, so it was kind of a which-one-gets-there-first sort of situation. Um, like, left people expecting an original film kind of in the cold, because they hadn't maybe seen One Piece forever, and like 600 episodes is a lot to, to expect someone to just shrug off and watch a shonen title as a result. So, like... Definitely that was a situation where we like we stepped away from doing mystery films a few years ago actually because it's like if it's in your lineup and it's a premiere why don't you want people to know about it exactly yeah and the, the issue in this case was hubris and the desire to to have one more premiere in the lineup and one more film we didn't want to have missed out on in the lineup basically although um, the the furthest travelled audience member um, revealed himself to us in the bar last night mm. not knowing who we were he just thought we were a bunch of fanboys sitting around waiting for the film to start he had come from New Jersey and he was in town on a whiskey buying trip for, <laughs> for 48 hours he was staying at the Sheraton and he walked past the film house and someone told him that One Piece was on and he was like oh my god One Piece and he came in and, and, and came to see it. So he got shocked when I walked out on the stage because I think he'd been sitting there talking to us in the bar beforehand. He didn't know who we were. <laughs> so, Andrew. Yes. For you personally, what's been a highlight for the festival? Uh, and this year specifically, then I, I might ask you about it. I know, a highlight would be we've sold out not just one screening, but like for the entire weekend we sold out a lot of them. But in terms of film, Volume. I mean, we sold over a thousand tickets for Weathering with You across two weekends alone, as in four events. For Promare, we sold like seven hundred and something tickets. Like on a, like on a regular day, like that would be like that be on the low end, like the lower lower end, but like of a national release, basically. I mean, like Tokyo Ghoul, for example. If you're doing just showcase cinemas, ten grand or 10, 15 grand is absolutely an expected amount. So, uh, an overspill festival coverage for Scotland Loves Anime is equivalent to a low-level national release. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Like, the, the very limited national release, I'm not saying... Yeah, I know, like but, but many of the national releases are limited. But yeah, like, so it's like, it's like the low end of what you would look at and go, you would look at it and go, oh man, I fucked up, but mm. like, on the, the national release, but, alright, it was aimed to be deliberately a small release like Tokyo Ghoul, which is like a live-action horror piece, but nonetheless, it would still register on that that scale which is an achievement I mean that's really like for a festival which runs over two weekends mm. like that's that's and great it gives you a real sense both of how big the festival is and also how small the anime watching population in this country can be yeah I think it's about access as well at the end of the day it's mm. like I think we still really struggle with accessing the, the mid-range anime fans the ones people like Crunchyroll and Funimation for example can access on streaming mm. Like, and Netflix even, like, I think it's very hard to convert people who are used to a digital, like, like home sofa entertainment yeah. medium to, to get them to understand these films can come to a cinema. Because for them, it's like, well, it's only available on, yeah. on it, these it, platforms. It's, you know? it's been a constant recurring feature of the festival for the last 10 years that people come to the film house and see anime on the big screen for the first time in their lives. Yeah. That's because... For the younger generation, you know, for, for the millennial weebs and, and, and whatever comes after millennials, they are, anime is a private, personal, laptop uh, experience. Mm. 
um, or you're watching it on home on your television. So the idea of being in a cinema and actually seeing it on the big screen is not something that they have encountered before. And they are often not ready for the implications of that when a giant robot really is giant, for example, yeah. or when the thing that they titter at on their own in their bedroom is being tittered at by 300 other people. Um, that, 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 those are all experiences that, that many sound, of them are getting the first time. Sound level is a huge one as well for a lot of people. Sound level, on the subject of sound level, um, we had uh, there's a new speaker system in the Glasgow Film Theatre, um, and uh, Dave, the projectionist, tested uh, Redline and came out and reported that the uh, if they put everything at the correct levels for Redline when we showed it that the sound level was, in his words, brutal. <laughs> and so we actually, we, we, we turned it down from 11 um, so that, um, that it wouldn't make people's ears bleed. And I, I, and I made the mistake of saying to the Glaswegian audience in a late night screening, we've taken the sound level a bit to, to, to kind of, you know, make it easier for you. And they're like, no, no, turn it up. <laughs> but definitely it was good they didn't turn it up. <laughs> we, we, we told them we did turn it up, yeah. but actually we didn't. Because it, it, <laughs> it would have actually, we would have actually sent ears. people to hospital. Yeah. And that is a great review for an anime film, but not good <laughs> legally. Yes, sell tickets. It would sell tickets because people would, would, you know, show how manly they were. It would sell tickets once. (laughs) (laughs) And then we'd probably have some lawsuits and we'd never sell a ticket again. So there we go. Anime, weaponized anime at this point. But yeah, like, I think, like, that was, like, I think the biggest surprise was definitely, like, that kind of width of release basically in a weekend. Hmm. And like this like it was a really good lineup as well. I think some year like the trouble is someone was asking me before what makes a like like what makes a year really strong of the answer. Like it's a like I wish I could say it's always marketing, but this year actually we moved our marketing strategy to reduce certain spends which would target people. So it was all organic social posts and mm. such. And yet we had our biggest fucking year to date. And I don't think it was just because we had outdoor advertising as usual. Mm. Mm. Like I think there's a like there's some questions to be asked about. I think partially it's about content. I think when you have exactly that right mix, mm. you can't Anyway, 2015, our other biggest year had things like Your Name and a Silent... Well, 2016, sorry, which was another big year, The Silent Voice, Your Name. Okay, so what you're suggesting is, is that when Shinkai is on board, you get more people coming, which it's, is exactly the kind of post-Miyazaki argument that all the distributors are trying to make. It's not even just Shinkai, though. That was the interesting point, but see, I mean, you look at things like Birthday Wonderland, they were packed out. Mm. Like, you look at Promare, it was packed out. I think it's, like, just some years are really strong for creative content, and I think... Bizarrely enough, very often it's for years where there's a cohesive theme between all the films. Which there certainly was. Which there certainly was this year on it. And like, I feel like when you have that perfect resonance, like sometimes it comes together. I mean, it's. Yeah, but then again, although many of the films discuss very similar topics, there's a lot of water, there's a lot of parallel worlds, there's a lot of are we living in the in the wrong future yeah. kind of questions I mean, we being asked. Are. We definitely are. Um, or it could be worse, not much. Um, I mean, people didn't know that when they bought their tickets, so that's kind of an inadvertent, you know, underlying mm. thing. Uh, we, we were talking before you got here about the possibility that you put Jack on the jury just to make sure that um, his film wasn't in competition. Was oh. that your nefarious scheme? No, no, it wasn't. I actually just think Jack's really good at judging things. <laughs> well, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. So you say oh. that next year, no? Yes. Yeah. Well, you. no, like, I mean, like, we have pretty, like, it was one of those ones where, like, when you appreciate someone's point of view on things, you realise that. Like, actually, like, because we pick people for the jury not based on how we think they're going to vote, but how, 
like how likely their capacity is to surprise us. Yeah. Like in a vote and having some like what we've realized is actually because before it was always a topic I tried to avoid bringing any Japanese studio into the jury. Mm. And actually what I realized is there's a lot of studios where it actually makes sense and it was actually a shame that we had to put Human Lost out of competition as a result. It was kind of a trade-off. Yeah. For us, we wanted it like we wanted it in the festival and we wanted you as a judge, so it was kind of a I like I personally wanted something that was CG in the lineup in competition. Yeah. We just ended up with we actually way too many films for competition this year. I mean both Human Lost and Relative Worlds were on the list for trying to get into competition. And Promare. And Promare for that matter. And like that's where the mistake in the program comes from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, basically there was so many good films this year that we all thought were because normally there's a common consensus very early on from at least me and Andy before we send it to Jonathan and everyone else for approval is like there's normally a common consensus from at least us these four are probably the ones that have ever let send the list hmm. like and see what like see if anyone comes up with anything interesting this year we're like we can't actually yeah. pick yeah. four we had like five different <coughs> conversations where the list changed drastically yeah. each time no because I, I was talking about this earlier with you guys too it's like this year it, there was a good lineup mm. I think it also has to do with the industry in Japan that yeah. there was just a lineup of movies coming out this year yeah so. and, and, we're, and we're often dealing with the after effects of things that happened five six years ago so you know people hold off because Miyazaki's last film is coming out so no one wants to compete so yeah. the following year there is a surfeit of fantastic films yeah. but that means that the following year there isn't yeah and so we, and we're still dealing really with the after effects of things that happened in 2013 even even now, there's because you know film productions take two or three years, and it takes a while for things to happen, yeah, and it kind of so there there is a kind of sine wave that kind of comes out from. Uh, for those yeah. seeing in black and white, I'm wiggling my hands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And like I think that's exactly it. We run on basically a three year cycle. If you follow Scott and Anime's big years mm. on peaks and troughs, three years is approximately okay. So you're saying next year is going to be crap, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm saying next year is going to have a lack of necessarily original films. Like right. I know right now on the market, there's like I could name you about yeah, one hand franchise the original films that are coming. Oh, out well, we, we, we better throw in some old classics then, hopefully not involving blue cats. I mean, I think blue cats can rest for now. Yeah, I think. But we, like, but we we should show something like colorful next year, some good films from the. I past genuinely like that kind of year because it adds a, like you're basically adding an ability to curate really interesting content because it doesn't have to be just old and screened before yeah. there's a huge wealth of films which have never been we screened over 120 films in the last 140 films now actually I think in the last 10 years and we've not even scratched the surface on the complete volume of like of anime works and like maybe was one like maybe one you will finally have space to do what I'd like to do and like program a series of like adverts like anime like anime advertising basically in a, a piece for example I mean there's there's so many things where like, it's easy to view a lack of new original films as a problem from a festival point of view, but that's easy mode for programming. Like, the challenge is how do I program old films that people want to attend? And this year, mm. for example, over the 10 years, basically every film we screened, which was that, had over 100 people there. Yeah, that's very surprising, because in the, in the week between the Glasgow and the Edinburgh screenings, we tend to run one film a night at the Edinburgh Film House. So we had things like the case of Hannah and Alice, um, running for a bunch of people who've never seen it before, which was great because it's such a lovely film to kind of rediscover. Um, 
and I can't remember what the other one was that wasn't just Covidori. What was Patamo Inverted? Patamo Inverted. There are people who came to see Patamo Inverted who had no idea what they were getting themselves into and had a lovely time. And that's really nice to do. You, you, you don't, you know, you, we, we see a lot of familiar faces at the festival. And so that biases us towards assuming that we get the same people coming every year. But of course, you don't notice the new faces because they're new. Yeah. It's interesting you mention that because in speaking to people this weekend, people have been coming from Cardiff, from Italy, mm. someone was from, uh, you mentioned a person from New Jersey who happened to be in town, people travel from down south mm. every year, but that also brings in new people and having a year as big as this one, word will travel again, people will yeah. want to make this a destination, it's to try and I guess use an analogy in some way, when it comes to music festivals. Mm. They happen every single year. Reading and Leeds is for a certain demographic. Mm. There's the Download Festival, which is more of a hard rock heavy sort yeah. of crowd. There are other ones I can't name because I don't know them, which are for far lighter music that I don't tend to listen to. But mm. there is a target market. And now I, I personally feel Scott Loves Anime is a target for people to go to every year. It is a destination. Yeah. It's an equivalent of a music festival, but for anime. Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's like absolutely fairest point on it, I think. Because yeah. one of the interesting things for me to see, because a lot of these movies come, came out in Japan already, so for me to see it here and then to watch the demographics, the country is different, language is different, was the demographics and the crowds. It was actually very, very diverse. Yeah. And that's something we found as well. For, for most films, there's an age group of between, like if it's a universal film, you'll find people five years old and people who are 70 years yeah. old there. And we know because we did survey one year to, to test that. Hmm. That theory, and no. managed to sample it, and like I see people in there who are like my old lecturers from university, bringing their kids, like or grandchildren, to to see films and such every year. Creating something of a festival flap, a family of ten-year-old girls turned up with their dad to the education day yeah. uh, to see the trigger presentation, <laughs> which would have included sex and violence with muck speed until such time as we saw you know a bunch of children coming in. We'd never included an age rating on the education day because we just assumed that it would be teenagers and up, you know, yeah. uh, mainly 20-something students. So having to, you know, cater at, at one minute's notice to a bunch of 10-year-olds turning up was a bit of a shock. Um, but there you go. They were, they were very excited about Guren Lagan and they were very excited to see Trigger. Um, so we, we managed to dodge that bullet. But that was an absolute panic because we'd spent... I'd spent two hours preparing uh, the cattle prod control of Trigger, they came in with a with a 10 hour presentation that they said they would drop into at various points to fill 45 minutes. And we assumed it was all gonna be, you know, boobs and guns, because it's Trigger. And then, and, and then we had to, and I had to say, well, you know, everything that we've agreed over the last two days of meetings, can we throw that away right now and try and do something that's not gonna get us sued? But, it, it, but that's awesome to hear, though, right? Working in the animation industry, mm. that a father took three kids and women, you know, yeah. girls, 10 year olds, to this event that was, you know, Trigger was speaking. Mm. Whether they understood everything, I don't know, but they were just dedicated. They were, the dad wanted yeah. to take the daughters. And I think they were sitting yeah. behind Frey and I during the Uwasa film. I think that was them. Yeah. That was three, yeah. About three kids, right. yeah. And they, uh, yeah, they, they, they came to the other films, but also they, uh, they, they stayed for the. Um, is it Nevius or Livius? Uh, Livius. Livius, okay. Uh, Jack presented the first episode of uh, Livius, which is coming on Netflix soon. 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 Yes. Uh, which is a cybernetic boxing anime. They stay with that very excited. They, they were very excited to be seeing something exclusive and seeing something ahead of time. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Yeah, that, that was fun mm. to see, especially if yeah. you see 10 year old girls like that. Yeah. You wouldn't think. 
kind yeah. of doing something else, you know? Yeah, they're engaging with it. Yeah, and their father taking them to this opportunity to see it. Unfortunately, they didn't stay for India and Michael's presentation, which I think was a mistake. Because oh. if anything would have created four new animators, it was listening to you two. That was quite amazing. Yeah. Thank you. We'll get them next time. We'll get them next time. Yes. <laughs> well, if you, if you just remember that they're small enough to use a net. Like exactly. One of those fly-catching nets. Just yeah. swing it down on one of them and they can't run away then. So, so they were just talking about how they got into the industry, but they presented it in an incredibly positive way about how to deal with the struggles you face and how to make... Um, uh, how, how to, for example, not be afraid of failure, but but also, I mean, th and this is an, an amazing thing to say, not to be afraid of success. I've never heard anybody say that before. I don't know if that's you or you're quoting somebody, but that was a very interesting uh, yeah. thing to say because it, it, it's a, it's an issue that affects absolutely everybody. Yeah. yeah, it's something that I've heard a lot of people say to me, but I didn't really oh. understand it until Starlight Brigade ended up being a hit. Hmm. Um, and then scary stuff started happening. Hmm. And you can either go for those opportunities or you can choose to run away from them. And you're not always prepared for that because people don't really teach you that that's something you'll have to deal with. Yeah, everything's yeah. driven towards getting you to that point. And then like, it's like fire and release and you're like, okay, cool, you're making things now. And you're like, yeah, but I have to keep making things. Yes. Yeah, yeah but also the other thing that you said that, was, that really resonated with me is that do what you love. And that sounds really obvious and really trite, but actually... Uh, the point that you were making was that um, if you do what you love, then that is the sample that you present to the world that is your calling card to do more things. So if you end up wandering off down a random pathway to please your lecturers or to, to meet certain standards at your school, and the example you're giving is something you, you know, you've made something that you don't really like or you're working in a field you don't like, then you're going to constantly reinforce that kind of negative direction for yourselves. Mm -hmm. And that was very, and, and, you know, I, and that's the thing that you said that I really wished I'd known 25 years ago. I have inadvertently ended up doing what I like but I probably would have ended up doing it a lot quicker if I'd have made that clear to the people who were hiring me. Um, so, you know, it, it was very interesting and, and very inspirational. And I hear that the uh, Edinburgh College of Art is inviting you back to slap that into their students a bit more. <laughs> yeah, that's great. We had a lot of fun doing it. It was really nice to come over and be able to talk about it. You should definitely talk to more people about it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Andrew. Oh. Any closing words before we, we get back on talking about films? Anything else you want to add? Any random tidbits? Huh? Any regrets? It's been 10 years. It's been you 10 can... years. I have plenty of regrets. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, Scott Mods Anime is not one of them. And being able to work with people like you, Jeremy, and Jonathan, like, it's a... It's an annual pleasure. People like to, to actually work. I've never been called an annual pleasure before. <laughs> he's much more. He's much more an occasional weekly pleasure. But I mean, for most. But you know, like wink. <laughs> but no, like I mean, like it's absolutely a pleasure every year. Happy anniversary to both of us, Jonathan. Yes, I look forward to annually pleasuring you. <laughs> Same time next year. The world's first analrhythmus. <laughs> yes, I realise I have. Uh... Yeah, well done. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, derailed it. You wouldn't let it lie, would you? That's exactly why we don't like you here for the podcast. Yes, well, ruin everything. We brought the tone. I bring the tone to the, the correct level to improve it for all of you guys. You will now look like sophisticated. Well, <laughs> well, well, now that Andrew has given us his seal of love, uh, let's move on to birthday wonderland. 
Indeed. So, elevator pitch for the film. Don't make me do it. Make one of the jurors do it. We want them to work. Who wants to give it a try for an elevator pitch for the film? Shame. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. Thanks, Andrew. Um, uh, a young girl is taken to a new world to experience um, that world and gains a new appreciation for her own world that she was lacking at the beginning of the film. There you go. With, with, with cats. With cats. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's based on a, on a children's story uh, for, um, in which uh, it turns out that uh, the basement of this girl's aunt's shop, which is a pharmacy in the original book and is a junk shop in, um, in the film, leads to a parallel world where stuff happens. And, and this very picaresque journey unfolds, which India herself described as you can feel them ticking boxes. We have to go to this place, we have to go to this place, we have to show this scene. And it creates a very interesting... Um, I mean, the elevator pitch, you could say there's a stampede by sheep, there's a trip over mountains in a rocket-powered car that's powered by dragon shit, you know, and a cat's ass. There's all kinds of things that go on in this film that if you kind of separate them and put them on the poster, people are like, blimey, that sounds mental. But does it actually deliver on some of its parts? Um, I thought it was very fun, but I do feel like it was also, the pacing was very interesting. It almost plodded mm. rather than running. I think it did plod. Yeah. I think it's a very plodding film. And in fact, and you've got a protagonist who complains about how plodding it is for half of the film. I don't want to be here. Why are we doing this? Why do we have to do this? And I'm, and I'm sitting there in the audience thinking, yes, yes, why are we having to do mm. this? Yeah. Mm. There's not a lot of places that they visit that really feel like they have an impact or a meaning to the film or to the characters. So mm. you kind of end up feeling like you're just kind of along for the ride as they go through these places that don't really end up paying off. Which the protagonist is also along for the ride. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's unfair to call her a protagonist, really, because she's... Well, actually, Freya said you felt that she was being essentially kidnapped. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the fact that she did not want to go on this journey and was kind of railroaded forcefully into it. made mm. to do so physically forced yeah yeah they yeah. used a magical art like artifact to push her forward yeah. physically yeah, that yeah. was in like direct yeah it was a bit gross mm. yeah it's just a bit because the usual trope with that is that you know the person falls into a world completely by accident yeah. and that's yeah. kind of the get out but yeah case, she's dragged along by case, her drunken yeah. arm yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And what you get a lot with Sachiko Kashiwaba stories is this sense that children are experiencing stories and adventures that their that their parents have also experienced. Sometimes, literally, as in the case of, of, of this film, where you know her mother has been to that world before herself, um, and, and sometimes you know, figuratively. Sometimes there's one of her um, her stories uh, is about the books coming alive at a library. The children's books come to life, and the characters come out and go looking for the kids that read them. But the kids have grown up now, and they're like, "Did you listen to my message? Did you did you do that thing that you were supposed to learn from me?" Uh, and, it's, and so you, you you're being stalked by Hans Christian Andersen yeah. characters around your 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 town. Sounds like a great horror movie. Uh, it, it it does have a kind of creepy tone, but I think so does Birthday Wonderland. I mean, because Birthday Wonderland is a film that ultimately turns on human sacrifice, which is you know for a kids' film is you know up there. I, I'll be honest, I haven't seen the film, so I wasn't expecting to hear that. Oh, no, it's... Uh, I mean, I, I saw it a long time when I did the subtitle check a long time ago. Um, Andy, did, did you make those changes? Uh, yes, yes. Okay, so the version that I saw, honestly, was 10% less funny than the version that you saw. 
because I went through the subtitles and said there's a number of jokes here that don't land and uh, if, if the subtitles were changed correctly then they certainly do land now. Um, but I also sent a warning to Andy, I said I'm a bit worried about how the BBFC are going to react to this because they're all about imitable violence. You know, uh, the, you know, laser guns are not imitable because we don't have laser guns, but jumping off a cliff and killing yourself is. And that worries me in a children's film. That's the kind of thing that the BBFC might be a little bit worried about. So we'll see what kind of certificate this ends up with. Mm. I think it was PG in, in yes, the festival. Yes, we rated it. But, but, but that's, a, that's a rating made by the festival. It's not necessarily how it's going to shake out uh, when it goes to the BBFC. Weren't there a few children present at the Glasgow screening of this? I seem to recall. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, do, it's, do we know what, what their reaction was? Yeah, I mean, I was going to mention it. It's one of the interesting things because, yeah, I agree with what everyone else around the table is saying, but one of the things that I kind of heard and saw from the, the Glasgow screening, and I don't know what Edinburgh was like, was that there were quite a lot of kind of younger kids in the, you know, maybe like seven to ten age range there who really enjoyed it. And it kind of made me think, am I just a cynical grown-up that can't enjoy these kind of stories anymore? Or, you know, what, well, what is the uh, deal? two things. One of the ushers at the film house said to me that that was the best anime she'd ever seen and she'd never seen an audience laugh so much as they did at the cat stuff. Um, <laughs> and uh, then also I was eavesdropping as people were coming out and there was a woman with some kids and she said as she walked past me not seeing I was there that was the best anime I've ever seen mm. yeah we had a really oh. a touching e email from somebody after the Glasgow screening um, she'd taken her nine year old daughter to see Birthday Wonderland and mm. she had she was an, sort of an anime fan who had friends that were, were anime fans and she'd actually again like you were saying earlier had never seen anime on the big screen before so that was like her first anime theatrical experience and she absolutely loved it and mm. you know will probably be coming back I imagine however Birthday Wonderland despite all of these accolades managed to get exactly zero votes from the jury so what was wrong with it for me it was very the elements was very Studio Ghibli it was very spirited away uh, the protagonist being a girl but you kind of don't like her in the beginning and then she you kind of she grows herself throughout the film um it, it just didn't stand out to me, for me. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Um, I think probably kids like it a lot because it shows a lot of imaginative scenarios which you can then, it plants a seed in your mind that can grow into something that you can imagine yourself. But as an adult now, I'm looking very much for the character development, the story hooks, the themes paying off. And it didn't feel like it really culminated in that in the film. It felt much more like just a road trip through a wonderland. The, the world itself felt very empty, like all of the landscapes didn't yeah. really have any distinguishing features until there was like the um, alchemist town village, but we passed by that and I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're not going there then. Yeah, that's, this is the most interesting place that you're presenting to me so far. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we're just going to, no, that, oh, that comes back later, right, okay. <laughs> Yeah, like um, a bit Mad Max in the middle for, for <laughs> one scene. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, I really felt that Keiichi Hara was phoning this one in. Um, I, you get, and in fact, he openly said at Annecy in an advisor move that he didn't want to make this film and he was kind of, sort of shoved into it, which, was, which is not the kind of thing you want to hear from your director yeah. um, in making a film like that. And I, I also agree with the jury about the Ghibli references. I think that this is a film that consciously wants to jump on the Ghibli bandwagon and it does so by adapting a film uh, by adapting a book by an author who herself was almost adapted by Ghibli. Mm -hmm. 
for those that don't know, and the, the jury is sick of hearing me talk about this, but I'm just going to run this past the, uh, the podcast audience, that um, Sachiko Kashiwaba's book, A Marvelous Village Veiled in Mist, was originally considered by Miyazaki in 1998 as his next production. And it was a, it was a book about a girl in a, in a mysterious village who uh, is separated from her parents and has to work in a fantasy setting uh, to earn a living. Um, and Miyazaki was gonna buy it and then he didn't. And then he went off and made Spirited Away, which is about a girl in a mysterious village who's separated from her parents and goes to work to earn a living in a fantasy setting. And this was quite controversial with some people, including the illustrator of Kashiwaba's book, who openly accused Miyazaki of plagiarism. As a result, he was fired from the book. They took his illustrations off the cover and from the middle of the book they completely basically they, they cancelled him and they replaced him uh, with uh, another illustrator on the cover and inside the book but thereafter the publisher put the book that inspired spirited away on the cover in big letters and i can see a bunch of cynical producers a few years later saying well if if that inspired spirited away let's pick something else that she's done and and see if we can match it you know um, so that felt like quite a cynical move. I mean, it's a, it could be quite a sensible move. As a producer, I'm sure you've made far more cynical decisions in your life, Jack. Not that you would admit to them. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, it, it's, but it's, it's, it's quite a business-like and mercenary decision. Mm. And I don't think it really pays off because... I, I just, I, I, it makes sense. I just don't think it was executed well. <laughs> well, and here's the other thing. If you were going to have a rocket-powered car that runs on dragon shit and you're going to travel across a mountain range in it and you set that up as an event that's going to happen you imagine what Miyazaki would do with that after he'd you know made something like the the car chase in Castle of Cagliostro you think oh wow this is going to be amazing when it happens when it does happen you see it on a map and it's a dot and you <laughs> yeah. think really you spent all that time setting that up and then the payoff is I get to watch a dot cross the map Mm-hmm. That scene was, yeah. I mean, the original payoff for that scene that made, made, away was a yeah, That scene was very interesting. It was, okay, this character needs this artifact. Okay, well, we'll make it. Let's go back to the place where we make it. Mm-hmm. They go back to the place, they make it, they come back. Here you are. Here and it takes place in about 30 seconds. And you're like, why not just shorten that, streamline that a little bit? And, and that's what I mean by phoning it in, because uh, there are so many things that I would have thought, if, if Miyazaki had had this in his hands, this would be such an amazing film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like they took a lot of surface elements from Ghibli films mm-hmm. and tried to um, establish this sense of whimsy, but it never landed because it didn't feel like there was a sincerity to it. It felt like they took the elements of the book and structured it into a film in an attempt to make it feel adventurous but it all kind of landed with the comedy landed a bit more than the actual fantastical elements and that's where i think you got the audience reactions people laughed at the jokes Hmm. but they weren't really immersed in the world yeah there didn't feel like there were any stakes it just felt like they were going from one place to another without any real sense of conflict or character progression Hmm. and then when the character at the end makes the flip you're like okay i realize she has to do this in order to end the story. But that's, that's the thing, I think, is that in other Ghibli movies, when um, someone goes into a fantasy world, there's always personal stakes with that character. But in this story, if the girl didn't complete the quest, nothing would happen to her personally. There were no mm-hmm. personal stakes. We weren't thinking she would end up turned into a cat forever, like in The Cat Returns, or anything like that. Um, it would 
only going to happen to this fantasy world that felt quite disconnected mm. from her. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sense of phoning it in is really much on both sides of the production. Like the cast and crew, and you know, the, and the characters themselves seem to be just ticking boxes because they feel they ought to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't help that, that, that that's part of a narrative itself. That you, it's, it's almost like it's a cry for help. Like, we don't want to be ticking this box, but we're here anyway because we've got to fill the time. And, and uh, I think that's, you know, it makes the film seem quite heartless. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was the. I thought it was pretty soulless compared to the other films. I think also it, it was a shame that it was the last one of the day because at that point, like you were saying earlier, I was, or I don't know if you guys were, but I was pretty tired and pretty hungry, mm. yeah, and I was like trying really hard, like okay, just watch the film, just don't think about how hungry you are. And mm. uh, for a while, I was like rooting around in my bag trying to find some chewing gum, and I couldn't find it. And I was just like, oh, just watch. The film. This is a huge issue with with with, with juries at film festivals, and we try and address it to the best of our ability. Some years that you know we have two films a night, which makes life a little bit easier. But the 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 labour required, the physical and emotional labour required in sitting through four films, critically is very taxing and I think Freya you said that you felt in a way you overcompensated for Birthday Wonderland or, or rather uh, in, in the deliberations yesterday you said it was only when you were talking about Children of the Sea that you realised you liked Birthday Wonderland more than you thought you did or was it the other way around? Yeah I think like talking about other stuff I would, like when we were like oh this film didn't do that and I was sort of thinking about how Birthday Wonderland did do that so but I think that might have been a case of it trying to tick boxes because there were things that Birthday Wonderland did that I was just kind of like, oh, cool. And, you know, I was getting into it. And then, like, two minutes later, I'd find my, my attention waning a bit. <laughs> like, I feel like it was, it was yeah, ticking boxes, but not, just, just, it just felt so soulless, I think. Yeah, I think like what India said, it was, like, yeah. surface level. Yeah. You go beyond surface. Yeah. And it, it, it was a good, it, the story itself was interesting, I think. For that one, it, it, unlike Children of the Sea, was visually stunning. This one was, I felt was lacking that. I think there was an opportunity mm. that was missing, that if it was executed in a different way, it would have turned out a lot differently. Mm. On that notion then, based on just hearing what you're all saying and the fact I've not seen it, do you think it could have worked better as an actual television series rather than a feature film? Because it sounds like if there are elements that weren't expanded upon, Well, or... the, thing, the thing is, is, is uh, as India was saying, it's, it's, it's picaresque. Mm. You, have, you wander from place to place, but if there's no reason to be in that place, yeah. in a TV show, there's also no reason yeah. to be in that place. Yeah. Um, I think, like, fundamentally, it would need some major reworking mm. if there was a, a yeah. film or a TV show. Yeah, I, I mean, there was something that, that Miles said about um, the work of Naoko Yamada way, way back when, when we were talking about, uh, in, a, in, a, in an earlier festival, when, when the jury was discussing um, a silent voice. And he said, when she makes a film, nothing is wasted. And the sense I get with Birthday Wonderland is that scene after scene was just marking time. Mm. And when the film is 111 minutes long, you think, really? You know, you couldn't have just cut this out so we could get out quicker? And that's not what you want to be thinking as someone who's bought a ticket. Mm-hmm. You, want, you want the film never to end. You don't want to sit there going, will this never end? Yeah, yeah well, like in animation, you make everything yeah. for a reason. Yeah. Like everything in animation takes so much time and effort and you make every single decision has been thought out so that it has a reason. And it didn't feel like that was the case with Birthday Wonderland. That things were just there to make it look nice or because that's what you should have in a fantasy world. Mm. Would you all watch it again? I don't think I'd watch this one again, no. I would, 
but only because the version I saw was 10% less funny. And, I, and, I, and, and, and genuinely, I was sitting there thinking, okay, that would have been a joke, but it didn't land right. So I'd like to, I'd like to watch it again just to see now if the jokes do actually... Did you, did you find any examples? Did you... Well, like oh, I, I, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I should have thought of that one. I, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll see if I can actually dig up mm. my... Because uh, it would be interesting to... to yeah. Okay, well, what, 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 what... Have been less funny. Maybe we'll drop this in later on. Sure. Okay, but but for now, we should talk about weathering with you, and I'll try and find the bits that are missing from uh, um, on, on, my, on my computer. For, for sure. That. Okay. So... Uh, last film competition, Weathering With You, which I can tell you has won the Audience Award uh, with 4.56 out of 5. So, uh, you know, measurably uh, ahead of the other films um, by our standards anyway. Um, Who would like to do the elevator pitch for Weathering With You? Who hasn't done one yet? Uh, <laughs> weathering With You is about a boy who runs away from his home to Tokyo um, he's living rough and then he meets a girl who is 100% sunshine girl yeah. and uh, that she can control the weather and that is just absolutely chopping it down all the time but she can make it sunny so they make a job out of it um, yeah, I, yeah I liked weathering with you a lot um, I, it was so beautifully polished and I don't think it lost anything for that in a way that Birthday Wonderland did. Um, yeah. Just give advance warning to listeners, if you can hear some tapping going on, that would be Jonathan. Yes, yeah, so that's me <laughs> fiddling with my computer to answer some questions. So to, to sort of ask a very just general question, you said you liked Weathering With You. Yeah. Did the rest of you enjoy Weathering With You? Just as a whole, would you say you liked it or didn't? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it too. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Cool. Any particular reason or was there anything that stood out? If I start on that front, I guess, just get some discussion going. Anything in particular that stood out about the film? Uh, beautiful. Again, just gorgeous animation. Uh, great production values. Tokyo, the setting felt very realised. Um, it was just like an absolute feast for the eyes. Yeah. As, as usual, you know, with that director, it's fantastic. I felt like there was a lot of heart there and the interactions between the characters felt warm. People, it felt like people cared about one another and the consequences of their actions, like it felt like it pulled through. So I was, I was enjoying um, particularly Suga. Mm. It's kind of like the guy who saves him on the boat and just the relationship that they develop because there's, there's an underlying conflict between Suga trying to look out for his own interests and also trying to look out for the protagonist. Um, that I, I like, I connected with there, and I thought that was a nice kind of secondary B story to, like, the main stuff. I thought that was well handled. Yeah, the characters feel like they all have like believable histories. Like you don't know what they are all the time, but you can mm. believe that they were that they are real. You can believe that they were people who existed. And, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that's that one of the things I liked about it was the character development, even the secondary or background characters throughout the film, you kind of learn a little about, a little bit about them. And so that was fun and nice to see. So you felt a connection, you related to them, you understand the relation to them, to the main characters. So. Now, just to sort of get this one out, because I think for people listening, an obvious question, which is probably going to be a major talking point, just for anime fans in general, is, is it better than your name? 
So that is a topic I think that should be brought up, but I want to twist it on its head a little bit and say, did your name influence how you felt about the film on its own? Um, I think it definitely influenced me, but it was more because I knew there were certain structures that were similar, that they were shared, and I felt like the structure applied to, um, to Weathering With You didn't fit it quite as closely and tight-knitly as it did in your name. So when they were present, I felt like they were a little bit more forced, whereas they had supporting um, elements that made it feel like like the, the emotional beats landed. Um, I can give an example later in the talk where that I really felt that. Hmm. Um, but there was, in my mind, I knew this was a Makoto Shinkai film. I knew visually that it was, and I knew that this was a follow-up as well. So. I can't say I wasn't affected by that. So. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult to watch this film without seeing the shadow of your name over it and to see the similarities between the two. And I kind of almost wish I hadn't seen your name or known that they were connected in that way so that I could see it with fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, one of the interesting things for me watching it in Glasgow for the first time was I went into the film fully expecting that I was going to have the internal argument of your name versus weathering with you. And I came out of it feeling that they were different enough that I didn't need to make that judgment. Like they just both felt separate enough in my mind that I didn't want to make that comparison that they both kind of stood on their own merits. Yeah, because when I walked in, I tried my best to just not have your name in my head at all. So I watched it with a very blank slate. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a really good film. I think it was towards after the film that I was just kind of walking back to the hotel and thinking that's when I realized just a similarity, which was more of me looking at the film Weathering With You, what bothered me a little bit, and then I connected that to your name. I think it's very difficult to find someone who hasn't seen a Shinkai film before, but I'd love to put them in a lab with electrodes attached to them and make them watch (laughs) this and see how they reacted to it, because that, that would be very interesting for me. I said at the time, and I think I'm even on the jury podcast talking about it with your name, that I really felt that with your name, Makoto Shinkai had finally ticked every box in the right way of the film he spent his whole life trying to make. I really felt that whatever issues you might have with previous Shinkai films, that they're not long enough, or there's a pop video in the middle, or they seem to get lost, or there's a dangling plot thread, whatever, or even as some fans of the absence of a happy ending in some cases, like it's always ambiguous, I don't understand what's going on. Suddenly with your name, he got everything right. And for him personally, it was a real creative peak. And what I find fascinating about um, Weathering With You is that he reaches this creative peak and then he has to deal with the, the, the critical reaction to it. He's spoken about this in the Japanese press and it's certainly gonna be something that turns up in the, in the English press as well, um, that um, he made this film and then he had to deal with the critical reaction. It, it, you know, th- this is being ready for success because suddenly he's really successful and people are stopping him on the street and telling him they love his film. But he's also overhearing people in bars talking to each other about how terrible his film is. And, you know, and the haters start to come out. And one of the haters was Yoshiyuki Tomino on television who said, no one is going to be watching this film in five years. And so what you get with Weathering With You is quite a wounded creative saying, okay, well, I've, I've, I'm going to take this further. I'm going to take the, the, the decisions that I made in, uh, in your name, and I'm going to 
I'm going to give people what they really want. I'm going to make something that genuinely, as a summer tentpole movie, gives people stuff to think about. And so what he ends up doing is he takes this idea of being hopelessly romantic, of saying, uh, uh, of the line, the line that he, he kind of fixates on is, I don't care about the rain. I just want to be with you. And he says, well, what does that actually mean? What does it mean if love really does conquer all? What if it's done at the expense of the whole world around us? And I think that's a great provocative thing to do, but it creates a very controversial ending for the film. Well, I mean, I said it was controversial in my introduction and a whole bunch of people came out and said, what was controversial about that? So I don't know, did the jury feel that the ending was controversial or did you just go, oh yeah, cool, rain? Yeah, I didn't think it was controversial. Um, I think it was, I agree that he was obviously sacrificing or they were sacrificing everyone else's happiness for their own. Um, but I, don't, I thought it was... Um, pretty relevant for at the moment that Tokyo was sinking into the sea mm. um, and yeah I, thought. I mean the thing about your name is it did catch the zeitgeist of the tsunami and the earthquake in the north and this idea that you know there were, things were going wrong and the, Japan was getting lost and, and, but, and so this did that too it also caught an element of the time but he was he's deliberately focusing on something that is truly impactful um, but you said something, Freya. Oh, I'm trying to remember what it was now that was relevant to this. Oh, yeah, you would have preferred actual sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, I was. I yeah, I would have preferred it had she not come back. Um. Well, I mean, I don't. I mean, I guess, but it, like nobody seemed to actually because you were. I think you were saying this last night. Nobody seemed to actually be too bothered that it was just going to keep raining all the time. Everyone was like, well, it's happened before, we'll just get through it. Whereas if everyone had been absolutely miserable and they were just like, oh, we have each other, then it might have been... Hmm. I think that would have been... This was a return to the lack of jeopardy issues of, yeah. uh, of Birthday Wonderland, because Michael ended up saying, well, it felt like when they were up in the sky, it was a different world, but then they were falling. And was, was there a danger to falling, as mm. you said? Uh, Freya, would they go splat when they hit mm. the ground or would they just, you know, wake up? Because I was also thinking that, like, Jonathan said it was controversial. I was like, God, maybe it's controversial that they're just going <laughs> to die by falling out of the sky. Like, that's really grim. And it didn't happen. I was like, okay, I guess that wasn't the That would have been cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was yeah, like, that would have been controversial. <laughs> he went through the same process of crossing the gate and going up into this realm, I, I suppose getting the same sort of powers that she did, but he never had those and he never had to go through mm -hmm. the, the ramifications of being a sacrifice. It just seemed to fizzle out mm -hmm. and dissolve. Like it was like, oh no, he, you know, he won. Mm -hmm. Like, how? Yeah, with, yeah, no clear reason. Yeah. Um, the, the, the ending for me was like where I suddenly, I had more of those feelings of like, hang on. Like mm -hmm. the first and second act, I was like, okay, cool. This is nice and charming. They have a, a nice relationship performing together and they're, you know, sharing responsibilities, he's trying to help her, she's trying to help him. And I like that. The third act is where I start to see all these, like, more ramifications mm -hmm. that just weren't either happening mm -hmm. or they were, like, glossed over or it, it rushed towards um, a setup where he, you could have that triumphant reunion moment. But it was outside of what I had learned about the characters. Mm -hmm. Like, we'd seen this character run away from authority, run away from his responsibilities or toward responsibilities that you want to take on. But then you have this three year hiatus where he's just on probation, isolated from her, and he was fine with it suddenly. And I didn't understand why that 
was okay for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the juxtaposition between him pulling a gun on someone in order to get to the girl that he, he loves and then him being like, oh, I'm fine with just waiting here for three years. I'll see her in three years when my probation's over was a bit jarring. Yeah. I do think that in terms of the ending where he goes up to, to kind of save her, she probably could have gone down herself, but I think the, the turning point there was the decision that they made that she decided to sacrifice herself for the greater good and he was saying you don't always have to sacrifice yourself like you have been for your younger brother mm -hmm. taking care of everyone else all the time mm -hmm. you can decide to be selfish and we'll go down and not care about the rain mm -hmm. and I did appreciate that this was a film where it did follow through on its rule set where yeah they did that and then rather than everything being fine afterwards mm -hmm. it was raining mm -hmm. and Tokyo was underwater because they'd made that decision and there were consequences mm -hmm. and I think maybe the fact that people seem to be recovering well after it was a commentary on the fact that humans are persistent. Yeah. And even if it's raining, we can we can deal with it and we'll find the joy in it and it's mm -hmm. not the end of the world. As the characters say, the world was crazy before. Mm -hmm. It always will be. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it poses interesting questions and I do agree that, again, I'm not 100% sure whether it stuck its landing or not, but I could see what it was going for, I mm -hmm. felt. Yeah, I think for me it feels like it's more unusual rather than controversial because I think it comes back to the consequences that you both mentioned. Like so many love stories kind of end with a sort of love conquers all mode and then everything's fine, everything's great. Whereas this has that counterbalance of like, okay, you've picked your happiness, but here is the cost of that to other people. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it could be stronger at kind of showing that you know a lot of people are just kind of shrugging off like oh yeah i lost my house it's kind of your fault yeah. but never mind exactly i agree with with freya in that maybe it would have been a stronger statement if people had perhaps actually known that they were the cause because in a way they were almost able to just navigate through the world after that yeah. without anyone knowing that they yeah. had any hand in this but would they have been as at peace with their decision had people known that it was down to them that this had happened mm -hmm. Would everyone be as okay with it mm -hmm. if they had someone to blame? And India, you mentioned that the beginning of the film seemed to set up a juxtaposition which didn't necessarily arrive of him being the sun boy and she, uh, him being the rain boy and her being the sun girl and, and that not really being developed anymore. And if, unless you want to say that his decision makes him that at the end. Maybe so, maybe. I hadn't thought about it that way actually. But yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why it didn't quite connect to me like your name did was just it felt a little, a little looser narratively there were a lot of things that I felt were maybe set up at the beginning that didn't necessarily pay off at the end one of which was your first introduction to the main character is him dropping everything because he hears a rainstorm coming and running outside to stand under the rain and kind of laugh up, laugh up at the sky and say how amazing it is and they early on show that he loves going out in the rain to the extent where he's causing trouble for the person whose place he's staying in because he keeps coming in wet all the time because he's running through these rainstorms without an umbrella. But that never is returned to later in the film, despite the fact that it's all very weather-based and weather-themed, and mm -hmm. I thought they would yeah. cap that off with something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really strange piece of foreshadowing, I think, is how I saw it, because your name, when you go back to it, has a lot of foreshadowing over what's actually happening that's mm -hmm. very subtle in terms of what brand of phone you know, characters have, that kind of thing, whereas this felt like a very... It feels out of nothing until you get to the end of the film and you kind of see the connections. And it's, it's a kind of strange way of doing it, but I feel like I appreciate it at the end. 
but in the moment when that happens and he runs out into that rainstorm it definitely felt like it was setting up something that it wasn't really explaining or paying off mm. Jack, you said that you didn't think it was as strong as your name You know, I thought about it overnight it's a beautiful film and I love it and I would actually watch it again to understand it a little bit better I think what bothered me and actually listening to this conversation was taking your name out of it it was just everything that was led up to the very maybe last three minutes I felt was anticlimactic because that's where I referenced your name was that and your name the boy and girl they're back in their human bodies they're in their own they're in Tokyo now but they don't know each other but there's a couple minutes of them you, you kind of know you want to see them together so it builds up to it they're in the train they're on the opposite ends and then they try to find each other where this one I felt he comes back uh, to Tokyo um, three years of probation it, it didn't I felt it could have been built up a little bit higher there was you know he goes visits everyone how's everyone doing oh I'm gonna go visit her it's an odd decision as well narratively yeah. why, why have a three year time jump hmm. uh, what, what, does it, what does it serve for him yeah. to be so I thought it was gonna get built up a little bit to the very end which would have been fine if it was similar to your name but it just I felt it built up and then it, was, and then it just the end was just the end I felt like he could have yeah. put a little extra, because it's been three years, mm -hmm. and he's yeah. back in Tokyo. That's where I felt like it took the structure of your name and applied it to this, and it didn't yeah. quite fit. Because in your name, the memory loss and the changing of timelines meant that they were parted, and yeah. they didn't realize it, but they felt something, felt that tug. Yeah. Whereas this felt like it was setting up for this reunion that didn't actually have to be imposed upon them. Like, Shiki would have traveled from Tokyo and visited him yeah. at any point. He, like... What? I, I neglected to ask the jury the, 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 the $64,000 question, which was, how many of you cried at this film? Nope. No. Not even. None of you. Close, yeah. That really tells you something about, about the weather with you as a, as a, as a Shinkai film. If, if, uh, if Ride Your Wave is a, is a three out of four weepy, and, and weathering with you is not. That is quite a crucial understanding of, of, the, of the level of emotion it can kind of bring out of an audience. Well, I think there was good, at least from my opinion, is that there was some good emotional moments. Like yeah. him towards the end wanting to go to the shrine. Mm -hmm. And you understand his love and his nothing. You don't know what's going to happen. It's just the acting of it. So it was good. I, I think cry, though. I think you understand it here. Yeah, but you. It was that quite yeah, 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 like, <laughs> yeah. like you, like structurally, okay, he's fighting to get back to her, and we know where he needs to get to, and all of that was visually yeah. clear. Um, what wasn't really understood was how did Suga find him at that building at that time, and also why was the like it seemed to be setting up the gun scene, mm. but we I thought we'd already established that he despised the use of the gun and that he knows that the girl didn't appreciate him using it and that it was dangerous. And yet he pulled it again. It felt like he hadn't progressed on that particular lesson. It felt yeah. like he was just frantically trying to find any way he could. But it would have been really nice if he'd seen the if he'd seen the gun and been like, "I'm back here again," but I'm being confronted by someone who I care about. Yeah, well, and I have to convince them with something else other than violence because that didn't really feel like it was core to his yeah. his character he never felt violent he never felt like he was lashing out or anything mm. like that he always felt like he was trying to avoid conflict it wasn't even just that he like pulled the gun on him but it was the fact that he actually pulled the trigger 
Yeah, like even I don't if know. he had, yeah, like has it and then toss it away. It, it seemed like he was trying to build up these consequences of his yeah. almost illogical actions to anyone outside of him, but it just felt like. I mean, I mean, maybe they were trying to put a point across that you do mad things when you're in love, but I wasn't. I wasn't along for that right at that point. I, I got the feeling with with the whole business with the gun that it was some kind of early bit of art that they'd used to sell it and that they then felt obliged to include a scene of him pointing a gun at someone. I, I got a real sense of the, um, the, 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 the bad old days when um, they tried to sell, well they did successfully sell Princess Mononoke to Buena Vista and they, they stuck uh, uh, all the violent scenes together and all the scenes of Ashitaka looking heroic and a scene of uh, San feeding him with meat from her mouth and they, they cut it to make it look like they were kissing. All to try and convince Buena Vista that they, they were buying an adventure film with a, with a straight male hero getting the girl at the end and not revealing that <laughs> it's actually about the girl and that you know there is no kissing and there is no romance and it's, it's not the film that the, the Weinsteins were expecting. And I really got the first, you know, there's a, I'm sure that somewhere there's a pitch document with the lead character of Weathering View pointing a gun at a gangster and someone and someone in a in a media buying uh, festival is going, oh, that looks good. We'll we'll, we'll take the thing with the gun, mm-hmm. even though it's really not necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt very much like he dropped the gun there at the beginning so we could pick it up at the end. Yeah, but not for any other deeper reason than it being narratively convenient mm. because they didn't use the opportunity to take the comparison between the two and show the character changing over yeah. that time. And, and we're and we're in a world where you can fight with weather. So there's all kinds of options Ooh. that you could use. Yeah, I did. Can she control lightning? Just wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she did. No, did she? Oh, sorry. She did. Yeah. She blows up a car. <laughs> yeah. Which would have been in the trailer. That would have been. So, would you all willingly want to watch it again? Yep. Yeah, I yes. watch it again. Yeah. I did think it was a great film. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, it got this. Uh, we have two votes, and that got my second vote. So I thought it was like well crafted. There's just certain points where it was like it just fell short. Everything was set up beautifully, and it's like okay then oh, like that that kind of like oh. Hmm. On, on the subject of votes, we should come to how the jury actually decided mm. things. Um, I think this is a little bit controversial, but it was actually frankly expected. Um, uh, Birthday Wonderland got nothing. Uh, Children of the Sea got one vote. Uh, Weathering With You got three, but Ride Your Wave got four. So Ride Your Wave actually won. Um, but it won because the quality of animation in Children of the Sea split votes that would, I assume would have otherwise gone to Weathering With You. So there's a parallel universe very close by where this was a tie between Weathering With You and Ride Your Wave and where I had to cast a, a deciding vote or where the jury had to argue for another hour about which film really deserved it, which fortunately we didn't have to do because there, there was a clear winner. But the clear winner was Ride Your Wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think when I announce that to the audience, there's going to be uh, some gasps of surprise. Um, or maybe not, but we'll find out. I think had I not voted for Children of the Sea, I would, also, I would have voted for Ride Your Wave. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Well, in that case, there is no parallel universe, and Ride Your Wave is definitely I, definitely yeah. a winner. But, but, but um, I did say to Andrew, at the time he told me who the jury was, I said, you've got three animators, maybe three and a half animators, on the jury. They are going to, very rightly, 
look at the quality of animation, and that may well be privileged ahead of other issues uh, when, the, when they vote. Um, so, uh, you know, that is not, he, you know, I think it's always assumed that the big tentpole film is going to be the instant winner, but the, one of the reasons we have a jury is to offer alternative perspectives on that. Yeah. I think it's animation's role, uh, as well as film, to tell compelling stories. And animation as a medium can explore vast visual spectrums that other mediums can't. So I think that's always secondary to what you're trying to communicate to the audience. So I think yeah. story kind of won out here. Yeah, I think I always say this in a lot of talks, is that story is what's going to carry everything. The animation has complicated how hard it is and the beauty of animation. It's just a medium that's going to push uh, the story. You know, me uh, coming from Polygon, which is a CG studio, the way it's a debate 2D or CG, you know, we're fine if it goes 2D. It's really what's going to be best for the story. And mm -hmm. so I think in, you know, this competition, it was really what was the best story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you often want the animation to help and augment the story, which is, I think, where maybe Birthday Wonderland had a bit of discrepancy. Because, yeah. like you said, they could really have done something with that story in terms of how they presented it visually. Yeah but there was a missed opportunity there. Mm. So for, for those listening to the podcast, if you're a first time listener to this annual spectacle, I guess at this stage, because it's a fascinating <laughs> discussion, but the way the voting process works is that each judge gets two votes, which they can cast be it on one film or across two films, however you so choose. So just to ask all of you, how did you each cast your votes? Um, I voted one vote for Weather With You and one vote for Children of the Sea. Uh, I voted for Ride Your Wave and Weathering With You. Both my votes went on to Ride Your Wave. Yeah, mine was very similar to Michael's, so it was Ride Your Wave and Weathering With You split. Was there any particular... What's the correct word I'm thinking of? Did you have any trouble deciding how you were going to cast your votes? Or was there ever like a split between... Um, like, for example, you voted purely for Ride Your Wave. Was that a definitive definite or did it take some time to come to that decision? Um, I felt pretty definite about it. There, were, there was a time when I was wondering, should I split that between Weathering With You? Just because that film is so accomplished. Mm. But all of the films, I feel, have their merits. And it doesn't mean a film's bad just because we haven't voted for it. It's more just a personal preference. And Ride With You was both... Story-wise, it was interesting, I thought. Um, visually, it wowed me. And it also gave... Maybe. But you said ride with you. Is it weathering with you or ride your way? <laughs> Sorry, ride your way. Right. <laughs> I've, I've got the names wrong of these films so many times, it's shameful. Um, but yeah, I, it also had the emotional connection for me, and though some people can find that manipulative, and I think it is in some cases, definitely, um, it can push very hard to make you cry. I think, personally, the way that I enjoy films, I like them to have an emotional connection to me in some way, it has to make me laugh or cry or get angry or something for me to feel like it's really affected me. Um, I think my secondary vote was split, like I swung back and forth between Children of the Sea and Weathering With You purely on the like just ambition of um, Children of the Sea, it is just visually explorative, they had such great techniques there. Um, it would just sort of fell short because I felt like I was just witnessing spectacle after a certain point that was really awesome, but it needed to have that hook for me that I was like, okay, I understand where the stakes are. I understand 
what might happen if certain things were, were occurring. Like the events that were happening felt like I was just being pulled along for the ride and being like, hey, watch this. And I'm like, no, I need, I need to know why I'm watching this. And you try to tell me several times and I feel like I almost get it, but I don't feel like the character gets it. And I don't want it into, like, to be too intellectual while I'm trying to be immersed. Like I like to reflect on it afterwards, but it felt like I had to be constantly reflecting as it was going to problem solve for the character. But then there was no payoff for me for that because like she was just like, I didn't get it. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I, I know where you're coming from there. That's the first part of the story where I'm like, yo, I get you. Um, so that's where Weathering With You felt like it had the heart and you understood stakes. Um, it was just ride your way, just got that. Yeah. Yeah, I had I'd asked you if there were like any criteria um, that we had to think about as jurors. Um, and I think had it been like, which is the best film? Like wh- if which was the, like what was a good film? I don't, I think I would have voted differently, but uh, Children of the Sea, I just, I mean, I agree like wholeheartedly with everything everyone says. And I, it just, but it just like made me love it just, it just made me think about how much I love film like it was I loved sitting in the cinema watching it I loved everything about it aside yeah I mean it was just a spectacle mm. um which is why I voted for it yeah because for me my I kind of thought about Children of the Sea I, I typically love those art films mm. but I think this one was just I didn't know where it was going yeah it, it, it's fine if it's an art film it's an art film that's why I was mentioning if it was a short film it would have been great it just would have been shorter and more direct um, I don't think they knew where they were going at the end of the day so then it was split between Weathering With You and uh, Ride Your Wave and the same thing Ride Your Wave is not a typical film that I would watch um, but I had no problem with it it was, it was an, actually in, it was fun it was mm-hmm. fun to watch it was surprising when I watched it and I mentioned I would ask it earlier, but uh, experience being on the jury. Any thoughts you want to give or regrets or? <laughs> <laughs> I've loved it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's an excuse just to nerd out about yeah. films yeah. with people for hours, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. I think the part I've enjoyed most is just talking about film with everyone on the jury and seeing different points of view, things I hadn't considered and then using that feedback to try and inform myself as well. Um, watching other films was a good time. Um, definitely enjoyable. And of course, having all the power. <laughs> <laughs> so, Too powerful. I was expecting to disagree with or to have more disagreements. I think yeah. we all. I think to be fair, we did rush the deliberations a little bit because we, you know, there was the tenth anniversary party happening yeah. shortly afterwards. We were all going to get kicked out. One of the problems that we have uh, regularly is finding a quiet place to have uh, a jury debate, which we're not going to get kicked out of, and mm. it's a Saturday night in Edinburgh, so that's pretty tough. And also, I inevitably end up having to introduce a film at eight o'clock. So we can't just kind of walk out and, and do it. We, 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 so there was a little bit, it was a little bit rushed. We did literally kind of vote as we ran out the door of the, of the restaurant. And 
fortunately, Ride Your Wave was a clear winner, but you know, we, we, were, we, we were kind of teetering there and I could have made you fight a little bit more if I, you know, if I wanted to. But, uh, um, and, and I will say, Freya, when you read the, the jury document, I've inadvertently made it sound as if it was much closer than it clearly was, because I didn't know you would have given your other vote to Ride Your Wave. Yeah. Um, plainly, if we'd have talked about it for another 10 minutes, it would have been clear that Ride Your Wave was in fact a substantially clearer winner than, um, than I thought at the time. Um, so I do apologise for that. I, I maybe also... didn't realise that myself last night. Maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, in that case, I feel le- I feel less bad about it. Um, but um, so yes, yeah, some years the jury deliberations do go on for much longer. There are years when we've had a tie, and when and when there is a tie, it gets awful because people have to genuinely convince their other jury members to Twelve switch their votes. As, as literally, like, okay. yeah. I, I think I would have enjoyed that process. Yeah. It, it, is, it is a very interesting process because because you then start having to compartmentalise your responses. And if there was one year when Colourful was up against uh, Letter to Momo and neither of them won because the kind of the short film uh, uh, the In the Forest of the Fireflies Light kind of picked them both at the post. And, so, and I was forced to make a casting vote on that one because they were completely deadlocked about these two films. Yeah. And, uh, and it was Ian Gardner uh, on the jury who was kind of flip-flopping because he, he said as an animator he wanted to back colourful, but you know, as someone, you know, as, as a human being with, <laughs> with feelings, the film that really hit him was Forest of the Fireflies Light. And, 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 and so there's that kind of, um, I think that was, yeah, that, yeah, it could be a different juror and different films, to be honest. It's been 10 years and it gets very confusing. But, you know, so, so you do have those kind of debates. This debate was actually rather clear uh, in the end, as it turned out. But of course, the other thing to bear in mind as, as jurors is, is that you're not talking about all the films ever made. You're talking about whatever four have arbitrarily been thrown in front of you. And that makes a huge difference as well. Because if Weathering With You was in competition with certain other films, you know, what if it was in competition with other Shinkai films? You know, or, or you know, whatever. So there's all kinds of differences. And it's very much a creation of that particular time in that particular place, not from that particular night that make these decisions. So the jury's power is not all-encompassing and it's already going to be compromised by the audience award, which has gone for a, for a different choice. And I love it when that happens yeah. because it, we disappoint a lot less people that way. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so, so that's nice as well. Mm. Um, so I'm very, very pleased with the way it's worked out this year. I just felt a little bit rushed last night and that's nobody's fault but the length of the films. I guess a, a random additional question that's just come to mind is do you all stand by how you voted or has this discussion in the morning the morning after perhaps change your opinion a little bit? I feel like, I yeah, I feel like if I were to do it now, I would maybe vote a different way. I don't know. <gasps> oh, you Brexit no, no, no. <laughs> I, But I don't know what it would be. Like, I think I stand by my votes. Mm. Like I- From last night, it, but yeah, but today's another if, day. Yeah. yeah, like if, I don't, I don't, I maybe would still vote the same way. It's just quite, so, so this discussion certainly had an impact then. Yeah. I, 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 I really want to see Ride Your Wave again now because I had no inkling that it was ever going to be this popular and I kind of want to see it again to work out exactly what it was that other people were seeing. I mean, I liked it, it was all right, but I didn't think it was going to win, so I'm kind of curious about that now. Ride Your Wave felt most human to me. Like There was an exploration of grief from other sides of like the absurdity and the madness that she had but also the acceptance she had to find. I just felt like there was a, a universal kind of truth being explored there that like, you felt you could connect to. People have experienced grief and loss, 
um, and it felt really charming that that was there and there wasn't a happy resolution mm. in the sense of like they didn't refine love they had to move past it and it was about moving past those waves and I just loved that the theme, theme was visually explored, emotionally explored, and stylistically explored. It just felt together as, a, as an experience that you can pick up and take forward and go, okay, how would I tell a story like that? Or how could, yeah, it just felt like it resonated the most for me. Yeah, I think that I would probably still vote the same way. But I think the test is always when I buy it on DVD and then watch it, am I going to be like, oh, I didn't realize that this part actually isn't you know, because on second watching, often you'll find yourself being like, oh, this part again. Mm. Okay, I'll just sit through this part. I mean, I hope it's not that. Um, I remember, what I remember about the film is that I really enjoyed it and it felt very joyful all the way through, even when it was exploring darker subjects. Mm. Um, but, I mean, if I had my way, I would give every single film a vote just because I think they all deserve something, for sure. Yeah. They're all well-picked films. Yeah, like, I enjoyed all of them on some level. Yeah, it, for me, I walked in, maybe I missed an email, so this is my fault, but I didn't know how the voting was going to work. So I no, just, we might have didn't tell you. Yeah so, I just, <laughs> yeah, so I just walked in and just tried to enjoy the films, and then judge after. Mm. Um, mm. And so I went in with a really clear mind, and you didn't ride your wave. I thought it was good. I didn't get blown away by it. I thought it was good. And then it wasn't until the day after I thought about it, and then watching all the films in order, then I realized, oh, you know, it wasn't bad. Um, and so I split the vote on my votes. But it was, it was fun. I, didn't, I, stand by my, I stand by the vote, though. If, if you did know how you, the voting was going to work, do you think that would have changed your perception and how you went into watching those films? Probably not. <laughs> I think about it. Um, yeah, probably not, I think. But I think you still go in going, okay, I gotta really pay attention and you know, focus on I'm gonna watch this professionally. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was fun to hear everyone's perspective, getting to meet everyone here um, at this table. Um, yeah, it was fun though. I will also say as well, for those of you who are listening to this podcast for the first time, all of the previous jury deliberations, with one exception, um, no, with two exceptions, I think, have been archived on the, all the anime website. So the, the podcasts are all there. So you can go back and look at four or five years of, of other juries arguing about stuff. And I have to say, every year I come to Scotland's Anime, on the way here, I listen to the earlier jury deliberations because it's always fun to revisit it. So if you have enjoyed listening to this, and indeed, if on this jury you've enjoyed doing this, the podcasts are there and you can see what happened to other people in the same situation. Well, on that note, I think we're going to, I say, finally wrap it up because it's just gone 11 o'clock. Mm. So, and you've got to introduce a film in a few minutes. I have to introduce a film. So, so uh, I suppose, uh, anything you would like to, to plug, as it were, what you're doing, how people can get, get in contact with you, if they want to hurl abuse at you, I suppose, or, <laughs> or similar. Thanks very much for having us. Um, I'm Old Swifty on Twitter. Hi, I'm Michael Doigart. Uh, we have a Patreon if you're interested in hearing more of our thoughts about storytelling. Um, it's patreon.com uh, slash doigswift. Uh, I'm Freya Allen Art on Instagram and Twitter, I think, but I don't really use it, so don't follow me there, please. Uh, <laughs> do follow me on Instagram, please. Um, and also, I worked on a movie called Klaus that's coming out in November. It's on Netflix. Everyone should watch it. Woo! <laughs> yeah, it's Jack Polygon. We have a film, Human Loss, coming out, and then we also have a series called Livius that will be announcing when it's coming out soon. So, 
Hope you guys watch it and hope you like it. Uh, I'm, I'm Jonathan Clements. My The fifth season of Root Awakening is on National Geographic, uh, I think, next month. But probably not in any territory that you live in. It's in 31 countries, but none that I'm ever around. Um, uh, but that's where I wander around China getting into trouble. And my new book, uh, Brief History of China, is out next month. There we go. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right, wonderful. Excellent. And there you go, everybody. That was the 2019 edition of our All the Anime podcast, Scotland Loves Anime special. If you want to know more information about Scotland Loves Anime, make sure you check out the website lovesanimation.com. And while you're at it, head over to the Facebook and Twitter pages. The Twitter being at lovesanimation, the Facebook page being loves.animation. That's all we've got for this particular episode, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be at MCM London Comic Con next weekend, so expect some news to be coming out of that. Going to try and get another podcast up before then as well, time depending and such. We will see how that goes. I'm also going to have a go at maybe trying to do what I did at the Manchester Comic Con with recording some audio across the weekend, so we'll see how that pans out. But stay tuned during the coming week for all the info regarding MCM London. There will be some fun news to share on that. If you're not already, make sure you're following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at All The Anime. Make sure you check out our website, alltheanime.com. And until next time, we will speak to you soon. Bye!